Today's reading is from Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 15. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. Welcome to the Leeward Campus of Christ Community. We're glad you're here. And I uh, hope you're staying warm on this beautiful winter day. I'm Tom, and again, we're delighted to have you here. Even though I was only eight years old, I do remember that evening as if it was yesterday. I was sitting in church with my family, and the man giving the sermon told the story of Jesus. And for me, it was as if the heavens opened up, and the God of heavens reached down to a scruffy little kid who had been fidgeting up to that time in the service in his seat. Someone who came into the church service more interested in playing with his friends after the service than listening to a preacher in the service. But at that moment, hearing the good news of the gospel, all distractions of my young mind vanished. Hearing Jesus' love for me of the saving work of Christ on the cross, His death-defeating resurrection, and His offer to extend to me forgiveness and to give me new life, captured my mind. It arrested my heart, and it flooded my eyes with tears. All I remember is when the service was done, I bolted to the front of the church. I don't remember what the pastor said. I know he prayed with me. But I do know this, looking back at my life, I am sure of this, that evening for an eight-year-old would be the defining moment of my life. I heard the good news of Jesus. It transformed my heart and it set me on a life trajectory that would profoundly shape my life. The gospel would open my mind to the truest truths of the universe. It would reorder the loves of my heart, it would rearrange my daily priorities, and it would bring me lasting hope in the midst of sadness and heartache. I do know this, encountering Jesus changed everything for me. Now, as we look at our broken world and our broken lives, isn't it easy to succumb to sort of cynicism? We tend to question deeply, don't we, whether true lasting change is possible in the human experience. Yet I believe it is. There is nothing I know more of that is more true to me, nothing that is more transforming, more altering than the good news of Jesus. 
The gospel changes individual lives. It changes marriages. It changes families. It changes communities. And it changes cultures. The gospel radically changed a first century man named Saul. The New Testament writers tell us it was on this dusty road to Damascus that Saul encountered the risen Christ. This encounter in space and time would become the defining moment of his life. Saul, through the lens of history, is known as the Apostle Paul, and his radical life profoundly impacted an entire empire and altered the train of human history. It is through this illuminating experience that Paul encountered the resurrected Jesus and knew that Jesus was alive and in work in the world. And he knew from personal experience, nothing was more transformational than the gospel. And in his inspired letter to the Romans, he makes it amazingly clear when he says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. This morning, we are continuing our series uh, in our church family entitled, The Church for Monday. And we are reminded this morning in this message in the series, not only of the transformational power of the gospel, but also the urgent importance of sharing the gospel with others. As apprentices of Jesus, each one of us has an amazing privilege of sharing the good news with those we encounter in our Monday worlds. But I think if we're very transparent, if I am transparent, most of us struggle a lot with this, don't we? And sometimes we rationalize, or I could say I do, I rationalize a more privatized passive faith with things like uh, share the gospel and use words if necessary. Now let me just say that our lives really matter. They are the plausibility structure for the gospel, but it's not only our lives that matter, our lips matter too. And the Apostle Paul in his brilliant text this morning is going to remind us with two words, words matter. If you brought your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to Romans in the New Testament, chapter 10. Framing our thoughts around this text, I'd like to raise three questions. First, why do we need to share the gospel? Secondly, what keeps us from sharing the gospel? And third, what are some practical steps we can take to share the gospel? So, you ready? Let's dive in. Why do we need to share the gospel? This is addressed immediately by Paul in verses 9 through 10. When he writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one heart, or for with the heart one believes and is justified, that means declared right, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So Paul's answer to the question why we need to share the gospel is centered in this truth, that humans, broken, sinful humans, need to be saved. Now, I don't know what your background is. The word saved can kind of sound like a preachy church world, but it is an important word. In fact, in this text, it's repeated twice. So it frames his thinking. Another way of describing it might be rescue, saved or rescue. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that first we are saved from something. 
We are saved from something, something perilous. Think of uh, someone who sees someone drowning in a lake and they jump in to save them, to rescue them from peril. Or it might be, you know, a first responder entering the driveway of a burning home and running into the home to rescue someone trapped in the smoke. The same idea here is what Paul is saying. The gospel of Jesus saves us or rescues us from, from sin and its perilous eternal consequences. This the Bible calls separation from God. Another word is the word hell. Earlier in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul has given us the good news along with the bad. For the wages of sin is death, that is, spiritual separation from God forever. But, notice the good news, the free gift of God is what? It is the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it is as if Paul is saying with Jesus' loving, nail-scarred hands, Jesus invites us into an intimate relationship with Himself. Because of Jesus' sinful or sinless life, sorry, He invites us into this atoning relationship with Him, death on the cross and His bodily resurrection. And by no merit of our own, we can, by His gracious gift, through faith, be saved, be rescued. And notice in Paul's language, saving faith properly understood is complete trust in who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Notice here in chapter 10, saving faith is summarized with this phrase, notice the text, to call on the Lord. That means it reflects both the expression of our lips as well as our heart repentance and commitment. Jesus puts it this way, he says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus tells us, and the Gospels tell us, and Paul tells us that we are saved from eternal peril. But also, we are saved for something, for something very good. We're not just rescued from something, we are saved for something. The Gospel of Jesus not only saves us from peril, but saves us for a new flourishing life of intimacy, wholeness, and joy, the life we were created for in the garden before sin and death entered the world, one that we will experience now, but for all eternity. Jesus says it brilliantly in John chapter 10 when He contrasts His Word from the evil ones. The thief is the evil one, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That is what we are saved for. When we embrace the gospel, we are saved from enslavement to sin and its eternal consequences, and we are saved for a new life, a new creation life of flourishing. That means we live under the constant care and protection of Christ Himself. And not only are we saved from and for, we are also, the Bible tells us, saved to. We are saved to a new community called the church, the body of Christ. So this idea of saved or rescued is very important for us to grasp. The gospel's transformation, both of saving us from and saving us for, is wonderfully stated in our series guidebook, and I hope you've picked one up and are following with us on that. Uh, it's a wonderful guide to engage in the sermon series. 
And here it is written really well again. Let me quote it. The gospel is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which if you trust it, saves you from sin and gives you new life, now and for all eternity. This new life in Christ is the God with life. It is drenched in the new and good, gracious, loving kindness of the triune God in new creation life. And so Paul wants us to step back, I think, and say, wow, what love God has for us. What amazing rescue Christ has made possible for us. I'm a real fan, as you know, most of you, of Lauren Daigle, the wonderful new contemporary singer and uh, writer. I think her writing is extraordinary. And one of her songs, Rescue, captures it well. Let me give you some of the lyrics. It's rich in theology and hope. She writes, you are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless, though you have been broken. Your innocence stolen. I hear your whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. I will send out an army to find you. In the middle of the darkest night, it's true. I will rescue you. Why do we need to share the gospel? Because people need to be rescued. And Paul's logic continues, and it's impeccable. To be rescued, people need to hear the gospel. Look at verses 14 and 15. Notice his compelling and tight logic. Logic matters. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, or you could say the word proclaiming? It's not just preachers. And how are they to proclaim unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. Now, again, as I mentioned, Paul employs compelling logic here. He is saying if someone is going to believe, they first have to hear the good news message. And if they're going to hear the good news message, someone needs to tell them. Eugene Peterson, in his wonderful paraphrase, The Message, as he often does, knocks it out of the park here with clarity. He says, the point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's Word is preached, there is nothing to listen to. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Believing requires first hearing, and hearing requires proclamation. That's where we come in. See, after His resurrection, Jesus gathered His apprentices around Him and commissioned them to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Do we recognize our gospel stewardship here? Do we realize what is at stake? The apostle Peter did. He stands up in front of the entire religious aristocracy of Jerusalem in Acts 4.12 and says these strong words, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. We must be saved. Peter knew there was only one rescuer for sinful humanity, and Paul did too. This frames his whole letter to the Romans. Chapter 1, Paul will say, because of that, I am obligated to share the gospel. I am not only obligated, I am eager and not ashamed to do it. And the question for us is, how about us? Are we eager to share the gospel? We have amazing news, and think about it in other life 
situations. If we have great news, it's hard not to share it, isn't it? I mean, it may be like, you know, a long-awaited pregnancy and you find out you're pregnant. I mean, how can you contain yourself? Or the new birth of a baby or a grandkid, right? That's the ultimate. Or an engagement to be married. Or you've gotten this great uh, job that you secured or you've gotten into this great college. See, we can't wait to tell others. In fact, there's a truth here, isn't there? The better the news, the harder it is to contain it, right? You want to get it out there. And Paul's point is, we have good news. Jesus is the greatest news imaginable. Before Liz and I came to Kansas City to begin Christ's community, we were a part of a wonderful college organization that was committed to share Christ with college students. And uh, there's one thing I just so appreciated a part of our conversation was the definition of being a witness, a verbal witness. And uh, it is a really great definition. It's really sound. It's just what is sharing Christ is what? It's simply taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. In other words, we don't save anyone. We simply point others to the one who can truly save them and rescue them and give them the life they were created to live, the life they long to live in Him. And I want to suggest, and if you've been around a Christ community a while, you know how important the great commandment to love our neighbor is around here. I think there was a message last week on that. But one of the greatest ways we can love our neighbor, one of the most primary ways to love our neighbor, whether they are in our house, next door, in our workspace, in our classroom, on the soccer field, in the pickup line, one of the greatest acts of neighborly love ever, ever done is sharing the good news of Christ with others. And I, for one, am so deeply grateful for the pastor who shared the good news with me. And I'm grateful that my family took me to church so I could hear it. And as a church family, we are passionate about seeing people come to faith and discipling them in Christ. And we are passionate about those who are younger. And if you're younger here this morning, you know how much we deeply care for you. Our children's ministry and student ministry, we are passionate about introducing people to Jesus Christ when they're young and becoming apprentices of Jesus, whether it's Sunday morning, our staff are amazing, our congregational leaders are amazing, our Tuesday night programming is amazing, our awesome kids preschool has touched thousands of children and family over the years. There's nothing more important or central to our disciple-making mission than introducing children and students to Christ. Why do we need to share the gospel? Paul says right up front, people are broken and lost. Whether they're young, old, or in between, broken humanity needs to be rescued to find forgiveness and be given brand new life in Jesus. But the second question emerges, doesn't it? What keeps us then from sharing this good news? Well, if you're like me, I think there's at least three things I struggle with on a daily basis in my Monday world. The first is the fear factor. Anyone relate to this? Because few things in life are more hurtful and fearful than being rejected by others. Right? We fear that. I mean, to be rejected by fellow students, colleagues at work, family members, neighbors, 
The fear of that leads us often from not sharing our faith. And in today's cultural context where spirituality, all spirituality is equally valid and increasingly privatized, to seek to persuade or another really strong word is the P word proselytize others to your particular faith is often seen as inappropriate, unimaginably intrusive, or even immoral. Both the fear of personal rejection and the possibility of violating cultural norms can be a very powerful disincentive, can it not, to share Christ with others in our Monday world. But the Scriptures remind us that perfect love casts out these fears, that our love for God and for others who need Christ keeps fear from paralyzing us into disobedient silence. And let's be reminded that in a cultural context, Most of our friends at school, our colleagues at work, are very open to spiritual conversations with those they trust care for them and are not a project to them and express an authentic life faith to them. And recognize, friends, the evil one's lies, that people in your life, that God has placed you right there with them, on Monday, that they don't need Christ, they don't want Christ, they're not interested in Jesus. The writer of Ecclesiastes confronts the evil one's lies head-on with timeless truth. It's Ecclesiastes 3.11, and it's as true as gravity. This text reminds us that God Himself has put the echoes of eternity in every human heart. 17th century philosopher, Christian, brilliant man, Blaise Pascal put it well, didn't he? When he said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every human being that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. The fear factor is real for all of us, let's be honest. The second factor is what we like to call the weird factor. The challenge I face sharing my faith is sort of the awkwardness of getting into the conversation. I don't really know what to say or how to say it or how to get into it. So I thought, we might listen to comedian Jim Gaffigan help us here. Please. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> he, he better not. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. Does anything make you feel more uncomfortable than some stranger going, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus? <laughs> yeah, I'd like you not to. You could say that to the Pope. I want to talk to you about Jesus. He'd be like, easy, freak. I keep work at work. (laughs) I have to admit, that was a good impression of the Pope. I just just love this guy, so I had to show you that. But uh, isn't that exactly how we feel sometimes? There's like all these different phantoms in our mind about talking about Jesus. And... uh, Gaffigan, I think, hits something really important. And Brene Brown, who you probably know of, she's very popular in the TED Talk world. She's a social researcher, and uh, she describes something brilliant. She describes conversations that are hard to have with others always have an eight seconds of weird to them. Eight seconds of weird. And I think that's exactly right. When we take the initiative with a friend or classmate or someone to talk about spiritual things, in our Monday worlds, there's often this weird eight seconds or so, right? But I want to encourage us 
It's going to feel clumsy at times. There may be a sense of awkwardness, but it's worth pushing through the awkwardness. Isn't it true that eight seconds worth of my awkwardness is worth someone's eternity? I travel quite a bit these days, and my Monday world is sometimes being crammed, well, sometimes in the middle seat, but three people on an airplane. You've all been there. And uh, on a good day, I at least say hi as an introvert, especially if I've been talking a lot. The last thing I want to do is talk to the person next to me. But every now and then I do. And on my way to a trip, usually I'm better than coming home, just to tell you that. So I often get in conversation with people on the plane. And there's usually an initial polite conversation. Um, and you know what happens to me as a pastor is I'm asked the dreaded question. Uh, I'll ask them, you know, where you're heading, what you're doing, and they will ask me, like, what do you do and where are you going? But I'm finding, increasingly, y'all, different than 20 years ago, that more and more people want to talk about spiritual things, at least in my experience. Uh, I got out of Chicago, I got to Chicago and back last week, just barely, and when I was on my way to Chicago, I sat next to a sweet lady named Marilyn. She introduced herself. She was kind of friendly, and I asked her what she was doing. You know, where are you going? What you and she said to me, it's like amazing, a two-month vacation in Dublin. She has a cottage there. I thought, that's, how romantic. That was amazing. But then she asked me, you know, what, what I'm doing, and, you know, I said, I'm going to Chicago to give a lecture on faith and work. And right away, she goes, wow, and it opened the door for a conversation on her spiritual life, just like that, completely natural, and she wanted to talk more about it. See, whether it's on a plane or in the workroom or a coffee shop or the sidelines of a soccer field, each one of us has the amazing opportunity to engage other in spiritual conversation. And yes, many times the first eight seconds or so is going to feel a bit awkward, but it's worth it. The fear factor is very real in our lives. The weird factor is very real too, but the last one is the doubt factor. I don't think we talked enough about that. And we live in a very secular Western culture that is increasingly doubtful about the foundational assertions of the Christian faith and its exclusive truth claims, is it not? Not only do we have a cultural ethos that is deeply doubtful of the Christian faith, but doubtful there is any real reality beyond our own subjective experience and the temporal here and now. We live in a world, as Charles Taylor, the brilliant Brit uh, Canadian philosopher, has dubbed the imminent frame. And the imminent frame is the cultural air we breathe, friends. It is, the, it is the cultural water we swim in every day. The imminent frame covers us as a culture. It declares there is no creator, that we are an evolutionary product of time and chance, that all that matters is matter, and all there is is the here and now. And as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably don't, you know, agree with that predominant cultural narrative. But it does influence you and me profoundly. It fuels doubts about our faith. It does mine. It makes me question whether those around me truly need Jesus or that Jesus is the only way to God, that the gospel is essential. We may struggle believing the gospel is really powerful enough to transform the deep brokenness of human lives in our marriages, in our families, our friends, 
in the world? Does the gospel really change things? And many cultural observers, and I think they're right, from many disciplines, have pointed out that unique to our late modern context, there is a unique kind of gnawing doubt that is the hallmark of our times. No matter if we claim religious faith or non-faith or wherever you are this morning, we are now, as late moderns, all doubting Thomases. But let's remember this, okay? It is not our own doubt or the doubts of others that is the enemy of Christian faith. Willful unbelief is. Doubt is often the gateway to faith. So why do we need to share the gospel? Because people are lost without Jesus. They need rescue. Why don't we share the gospel? Often there's several struggles we have. Fear, weirdness, doubt. But lastly, practically, how do we move forward? What are some steps we can take? Let me suggest three. First, and perhaps most important, pray for individuals by name in your Monday world. See, prayer is not only a mystery, it is incredibly powerful. And I'm sure each one of us who has already embraced Christ, if you're here this morning and have already trusted Christ, I am sure many others across the generations, the cloud of witnesses, have prayed for you. So who are you praying for that they may come to Christ? When you came in here on your chair, it was a little response card. And I'd like to just take a minute and again, maybe just bow your heads wherever you are and think with me for a moment. Grab a pen. Think with me for a moment. Is there a person that comes to mind in your Monday world? Someone God might be asking you to share the gospel with this week or next week or tomorrow? Is there someone you can begin praying for right now that God would open a door for a meaningful conversation? Who are they? Does someone come to mind? Perhaps some of you are here this morning and you realize as you've heard, I hope, the clarity of the core gospel proclaimed that you've never truly called on in saving faith and you want to truly become a Christian this morning. Let's take a moment and use this card to respond whatever the Spirit of God is speaking to you about. Write down the name of that person, okay? Or persons. Or write down that you have chosen to believe the gospel or you'd like a pastor to follow up with you. So take just a moment. Write it down. And we're going to put them and ask you to put them in a basket in the lobby on your way out so we can pray with you as well. Pray for individuals by name. Who has God put in your Monday world that needs Christ? Secondly, Be attentive to opportunities. It was Simone Weil who defined love better than anyone I know when she said love is focused attention. Focused attention. Christian faith, properly understood and spiritual formation as we become more attentive to God and to others and less attentive to ourselves. Loving others in our Monday world means we become more and more attentive to those around us. And that means, friends, the first thing we do is we listen well to them. What is on their minds and hearts? What are they curious about? 
What deep challenges and joys are they facing in their life as image bearers of God? As people unimaginably loved by Christ? What opportunities are presenting themselves for you to connect their story with the biblical story? The biblical story of original creation, the fall, redemption, and new creation. What we call at Christ's community, the ought, is, can, will narrative. Where are they wrestling with the broken ises of their life? And how can you point them to what can be in Christ? How Christ can heal their brokenness. One of the most important things is in our time, and I think that's been true in biblical times, is to practice hospitality. So how do we do this? We take an interest in others around us. We learn their names. We invite them into our world. Maybe a classmate, colleague, neighbor. Invite them to coffee, invite them to your home for dinner. Take a walk, a social event. Be attentive to those that God has placed in your Monday world. They are not an accident. They're a divine appointment. Lastly, share your story. You have been given everything you need to talk, to, talk about Jesus on Monday. You've been given everything. Because you, if you've embraced Christ, you have a story to share with others. It doesn't have to be sensational, but an authentic story of God's grace in your life. And as you share your story, look for opportunities to invite them to church, to come and see your faith, community. Many, many people in our culture need to see the gospel lived out before they heard it, hear its words. Invite them to the community of faith. There's nothing I know more than the gospel is the most transforming reality in the universe. I was reminded of this last weekend when Liz and I and a team from this campus we're in Tucson, Arizona for the Elam Conference for the Persecuted Church in Iran. It was there where I met and heard Daria's story. An amazing young lady. Let me tell you a little bit about it in closing. Daria was born to a devout Muslim family in Iran. Her home was filled with addiction and abuse. At age two, her parents were divorced. And Daria's mom fled to Germany with Daria. And her dad made his way to Thailand. Daria's early years in Germany with her mom were incredibly hard as her mom struggled to survive in her new life. Daria and her mom had no contact with her dad. And when Daria was eight years old, through the witness of a friend in Germany, Daria's mom came to faith in Jesus. Amazing. Then another amazing thing occurred. As Daria says it in perfect English and German and everything else she speaks, out of the blue, Daria's dad, who had been living in Thailand, contacted her mom and said he'd become a Christian and that Jesus had healed his lifelong addiction like that. Shortly after that phone call, Daria described a dream she had. In that dream, Jesus, with his nail-scarred hands, reached out to Daria. And she said, in the dream, I met Jesus, encountered him, and stood in a long line for baptism. 
And after that dream, when she woke up, she gave her life to Christ. Seven years later, her parents were married again. As Daria put it, God did a miracle in our family. Today, Daria and her dad and mom are serving Iranian refugees in Europe, sharing Christ with them in the growing church of Iran. And Daria is writing music and leading corporate worship for the next generation of Iranian Christians. So there is nothing, nothing more transforming than the gospel. It transforms individual lives, relationships, families, marriages, cultures, and nations. So let's share it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope we have in Christ. May we be good ambassadors and witnesses to share that good news with others. We pray this in Jesus' powerful and resurrected name and for his glory and his church. Amen.